What is up, everybody? Welcome to Wayward Artists in a Wayward World. I'm Sid, and joining me today is like one of the most fantastic people that I know, honestly, <laughs> Mike Drucker. Mike, how are you doing, sir? Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's it's Sunday, which is my day off of work, so I'm I'm like happy to have that day off. Yeah, well, I'm happy that you get to spend your time with your day off with us here, um, Mike. You you do a lot, man. I mean, <laughs> like just like knowing you, like, I guess not knowing you personally, but like, I know the stuff, the work that you've done for like IGN, uh, video game, uh, like website, and you do a lot of stuff. So I want to just get right into it, man. Sure. Like, sure. Who, are, who, who are you? Uh, well, as you said, I'm Mike Drucker. Uh, currently I am the co-head writer of Full Frontal with Samantha B. Um, I've written for a couple TV shows. I wrote for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon and then The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon after it changed over. I mm -hmm. uh, worked for Nintendo as a localization writer. I've written for Adam Ruins Everything. Um, you know, a couple award shows like the Golden Globes. I've, you know, been all around. <laughs> wow, I didn't even know you wrote for the Golden Globes. Yeah, like, yeah. What, what is that exactly? What does that mean exactly? Um, you just write jokes for like, you know, interstitial part. Not like uh, what's weird about an award show writing thing is all of the dialogue you hear between celebrities that are like later on in the show, like the banter, that's written by someone else. And the jokes for the host are written by another group. And uh, the only time I've done it, I've written jokes for the host. I've never done the banter part. Okay, I that is such an interesting fact. I just thought people went up there and, you know, they read from a teleprompter and all that. But I didn't know there was so many intricate details that go into award shows like that. Oh, yeah, they're weirdly complicated. Yeah, that's that's bizarre. <laughs> As someone who just consumes it. I mean, like, yeah, but that's so cool that you wrote for Jimmy Fallon. Uh, I love Jimmy Fallon. And looking at your... Uh, I'm just... I just... I pulled up your Wikipedia article here, man. And, yeah. you know, we could talk about your time Emmy Award nomin uh, nomination for Outstanding Writing. We yeah. could talk about your Writers Guild of America Award. There's one award that you did win that I do want to talk about. Sure. And it says here in your Wikipedia, in 2007, oh it was one of three winners of Disney's So You Think You're Funny stand-up competition, a joint yeah. venture by Disney and MySpace to promote the movie Ratatouille. What is that? <laughs> um, so it's Twilight Days of MySpace. Uh, I, was only, I had only been doing comedy a couple years, and I would say I wasn't even that great at it yet. But I was lucky enough that I was going to NYU at the time, and they were looking for a host for this big freshman event open mic. And NYU is a big school. And it's also, I wasn't a performing student at NYU, but it has a big performing arts program with Tish. So this open mic thing was literally in an auditorium with maybe 500 people sitting. And mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, I'll, I took the gig to host it. And it gave me the chance to do like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of stand up in front of 500 people. And stand up's mm -hmm. a million times easier when it's freshmen who are very excited, very amped up. And mm -hmm there's a ton of people versus like when I was going to open mics with like six or seven people. So the performance, uh, the performance went really well and I got it on tape, um, probably better than it deserved to go, but it went well. And mm -hmm. I had that tape and then I saw this competition uh, and it was like, you would, you submit a standup uh, tape and they'll choose eight finalists and then there'll be three winners that they fly to LA and like perform on this show with, you know, Pat Oswalt and perform with Janine Garofalo who at the time, like, you know, neither of them. Now I, I know them, but when I was just starting out, I didn't know them and it was super, super exciting. So uh, I, I either because my video was good or because um, the management company, which later become my managers, um, this guy, Dave Rath and Kara Welka and these other people, um, they chose my stand-up video. I was in the final eight. I got a ton of votes uh, or at least enough votes to be in the top three, which was sort of the winners. 
Mm-hmm. And that was it. It was, the, but it was a very strange moment for me because that was the first time I think in doing comedy that I got something that wasn't just like more comedy. You know, like the nice thing is when you start doing comedy, someone's like, hey, you should do my show. And you start doing more and more shows. And that's cool. But this was probably, you know, and sometimes someone would like kick you 10 bucks for a show or, <laughs> you know, you'd like get a free dinner, um, which is great when you're in college. So that mm-hmm. I wasn't bothered by that, but that was the first time like I was actively like, oh, I have something with this. Like I have the ability to do this and um, I could get something out of it. And so that was this weird, it's such a ridiculous thing now because it's about the movie Ratatouille, which is from forever ago. And it was from MySpace, which has been, which like I think a year later was dead. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was such a cool, it was like such a cool moment to sort of be like, oh, this, this might go somewhere in my life. That's so funny, like that you can find stuff like that in such the weirdest places. Um, yeah, I remember when I was doing theater, and like I was just kind of like going into it and not really knowing exactly like is this a career for me or not, or like if this is something that I really want to do. And then I directed my senior project, which was Dog Sees God: Confessions of a Teenage Blockhead mm-hmm. by Burt B. Royal, and that was the show that kind of like pushed pushed me as an artist. Like, right. it is the reason why. I do theater. Um, it's the reason why I love consuming art that's about, th- this play was about mental health and yeah. human connection. And those are really strong and important aspects to my artistic identity. Mm-hmm. And so when I was creating this podcast too, I was like, you know, yeah, uh, y- since you're from IGN, you know, Jared Petty. And yeah. we, like to, we like to joke on the show that, yeah, I still his format <laughs> a little bit, but uh, we, all, we all love Jared Petty on the show. But yeah. that show, uh, Pockets Full of Soup, was so important because it was just like regular people talking about like basically humans, humanistic stories. And yeah. you were on that show too. And I noticed that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't uploading any more Pockets Full of Soup episodes. He does a lot of other things with like Google and, you know, he's he's pretty busy and he has Hot Blip and a Jump. So um, he does other things now. But at the time, Pockets Full of Soup was like so important. And I really like that aspect of it. So this like storytelling and human connection is really got me into theater. And it was like this weird play that is about it's a parody of the Peanuts. Uh, have you ever heard of it before? No, I haven't. So it's basically Riverdale, but the Peanuts oh. <laughs> is what I told my designers when we were designing the show. So it's it's edgy um, Charlie Brown. That's so cool. Yeah. And um, yes. And so you think you can find it, Ratatouille and meeting like Patton Oswalt. That's, did you go to NYU? Like, is that uh, yeah. the school? That you... Okay. Um, um, I what... went for literature. I went there both grad and undergrad. Um I went for English literature and journalism were my two majors undergrad and English lit when I got my master's degree. I, I didn't know I was like, I took a creative writing minor because I was like, oh, this might be fun. I didn't know I was going to turn out to be a writer, though, or a performer, really. Yeah, well, you're really good at it, sir. I, I, I got to say, like, uh, notoriously, you're one of my the one of the the one video that I've watched of you that it's still stuck in my head. And I wish I can like find the exact video, but it's your huge rant on the Christmas, a Christmas story part two in uh, up at noon. Oh, do you right. remember that? I do remember yeah. that. I was so mad about that. <laughs> you were yeah, mad is an understatement, man. You were furious. I was so angry. I was so angry about that. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could like p- pull it up. Cause I really want to, and it's been, uh, it, it's kind of just buried under a lot of good other episodes from up at noon. Um, but yeah, and the way that we kind of know each other too. I mean, uh, 
I saw you at Kind of Funny Live too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I watch IGN, but I saw your performance at Kind of Funny Live too. And that was my first time go- traveling by myself and paying oh, wow. for my own travel. So meeting uh, all the Kind of Funny crew and then having you be on that stage and telling all these like this stand-up comedy. I don't think I don't think I saw a stand-up comedy show before then. Oh, wow. I could be wrong in the, the timeline. But living in Saudi Arabia, is, it's weird, man. Yeah. I mean, there's stand-up comedy now, but back then you don't really get a lot of that <laughs> yeah 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 i get that i get that yes uh but and then you eventually followed me on twitter which i'm very curious about um do you remember why you followed me on twitter because like that 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 definitely like a verified t- a twitter account following me and one that i look up to too it's like it's a co- kind of cool experience but i'm kind of curious like what made you want to follow this kid uh from spokane washington I'm going to be honest, I have no idea. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that like we had some interaction about kind of funny or or video games or something. And I was like, oh, this guy seems cool. Um, yeah. I'm sure it was that simple. Like it wasn't like uh, there was no moment where I was like, you know, all right, man, I'm going to I'm going to it was probably just like, oh, this guy seems all right. Click, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we clicked really well. I mean, yeah. like, we, d- we DM'd each other here and there. Mm-hmm. You got to tell me a little bit about yourself yeah. uh, and kind of your personal life, which we won't get into like those DMs. I want to keep them between you and me sure. but uh it was it was a lot of it was it was good times it, it made me uh it made what i'm doing feel validated and i'm i'm very like i said in the pre-show i'm very glad to uh have you on you know of like course. i kind of uh shoot my shot here <laughs> no yeah of course of course yeah um so guys gals and non-binary pals this is wayward artists in the wayward world each and every sunday i sit with a wayward artist and we talk about the person that we're thankful for it's based on Jared Petty's podcast, Pocketful of Soup, uh, which essentially uh, we like to joke and say that I stole the format, but I feel like if Jared knew, like he'd be cool with it. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I I would love to have Jared Petty on it. I I uh, but that just letting you know that too. I, I really admire him. I got to see him briefly uh, at Kind of Fine Live too, but then something happened and we got separated. <laughs> yeah, of course. I don't know. Like I was about to like go into the whole spiel, but ah oh, man, your podcast means so much to me. Blah 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 blah, and like I guess we were in line for it to get inside the venue and then it kind of just disperse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mike, um, I'd like to talk to, uh, with you about the person that you're thankful for. And uh, before you get into that, it, it's really interesting because you were on pockets full of soup and you did talk about uh, your teacher and stuff like that. But yeah. I'm kind of curious to know with this pandemic and everything that's going on, is there someone in your life right now that means a lot to you probably more so than they did uh, before the pandemic, or maybe even more, uh, like now like with everything that's going on. I'm like, I'm sure there's somebody that you have in mind that you'd like to talk about. Um, not specifically with the pandemic. I have a lot of friends that I'm relying more on for mental health stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not in a relationship at the moment, or I don't have like a roommate or like a friend checking in on me. Uh, mm-hmm. I've definitely like been in a very last man on earth situation on on and off with the pandemic. But no, I've relied a lot on friends. I'm, you know, friends with this woman, Danny Fernandez, and we both have uh, a lot of mental health issues. So we check in with each other a lot. Um, you know, another friend, Lisa Curry, who's another comedian I know. Uh, I've definitely gotten, there hasn't been like one person who's risen to the level of like the most important or if, or if there is, uh, you know, I can't think of them at the moment, you know, or it's someone who probably would hate that I'm talking about them. Uh, <laughs> like one of the three people really have risen up though, to the moment to be like friends and check in. It's been nice. Like, you know, if I don't post for a while, so, like I'll have a friend who's like, Hey, you know, usually you post obsessively and annoyingly. Are you, are you, are you all right? 
so that's been nice. Um, yeah, it hasn't been one person. It's been a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what we have to do with each other. Like, I'm kind of in your boat right now. I'm yeah. not in a relationship, but uh, uh, and you know, my friends will check in on time for, from time to time. And what's been great about this show is a lot of the people that are on here are my friends, right? And so um, I get to talk to them a little bit, and not only like talk about like you know the main topic of the show, but also maybe diverge and talking about other things as well. Um, yeah. I, I had a friend, uh, Deanna, uh, who's in the second episode of this uh, podcast, and I've known her for like eight years. And there's stuff about her family and her dad and her mom that I never really like I, I got I never really got to know before. I never really spoke to her dad and her dad like just showed up on the podcast and it was like hilarious. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's it's been really good on my mental health to do this show. Um how have you, uh, and you said you've also had friends check in on you, like, how has this pandemic, like, like, shaped you in a way? Because I feel like with me, I, and I said this on the show before, I feel like this has been a real test of my empathy towards yeah. people um, because of just all the bullshit, man. Like, everything that's going on is just, you know, normally I'm, like, a calm and, like, cool person, forgiving, but, like, seeing some of this stuff online is just dragging me down a little bit. Uh, so I want to know how you're doing. Um, I'm doing okay. I think, I think that I'm more suited to something like this than maybe a lot of people. I'm very, I'm a very like isolated person by nature, whether or not that feels good all the time. I sort of naturally have, uh, you know, smaller groups of friends. And I tend to, you know, when I'm not living with like a partner uh, that I'm with, I'm usually living alone. Um, so, it's been okay. You know, the hard part is on the other hand, I am very isolated and on a normal, in normal times, it's like hard for me to hang out with people. So now like, you know, it's even harder to, and it's just cause I'm isolated. doesn't mean that I don't want to see people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so that has been hard. I also, you know, became the head writer of my show a month before the pandemic started. And so I was still sort of learning how to do my job while this happened. And mm -hmm. because it's a pretty high intensity job, I feel like most of my day has been shaped around doing that job, whether it's like, you know, just being on Slack and making sure I answer something or going to meetings or rewriting a script or, you know, uh, the thousand things you have to do now when you're in that sort of position. The weird thing about that is I feel like it's, at, at, it's slightly broken my brain because everything's now at home and I don't have a very big apartment. I live in New York City. So there is this sense that like I am now a machine that that does my job and then sometimes i'll like watch shark tank mm -hmm. yeah I, I i feel what you mean i feel like we're all kind of like learning how to do our jobs again uh from a scratch with like this pandemic and especially um the when you said you became the head writer are you talking about uh full frontal with samantha b that's right yeah okay what was how's that show been like like producing it from your home or um, from your apartment it has been at first, it was really hard. Um, the first week after we, you know, we did a show with no audience. We were like, okay, no audience. This is how we'll do the show from now on From now on, with no audience. And then the next week, everyone was out of the building. And that next week, we were, we didn't have a show. We canceled the show. And we were trying to figure out if we could do this. Not just how to do it, but if we could. And there mm -hmm. was a beat where, you know, it seemed like, you know, there was a chance that, like, we might not, or we might go on an extended hiatus just to figure it out. And instead, we came back the following week, did a show, and that was really hard. And we've sort of now 
figured out a schedule. The downside is the schedule is much harder than a normal week because everything's more complicated. You know, um, when we were in a building, Sam would shoot in a studio and that would go through, you know, fiber optic cables to the edit bays and, you know, producers and writers could go to the edit bay and check out an edit. And so everything could be shot, delivered, edited, uploaded relatively fast. And now Sam is shooting in the woods and her husband's shooting her on an iPhone, you know, 11 Pro. And they have to upload all their footage over Wi-Fi. So not mm -hmm. only are they shooting in a location that makes it more difficult, but they have to, you know, slowly upload gigs and gigs of footage, which, you know, over Wi-Fi off a cell phone isn't that fast. Mm -hmm. And the editors have to edit it. And instead of having edit bays where you can just sit around and go, oh, can we like move that? Or can we like, that sounds weird. Can we like drop that out a bit? You have to like get a Vimeo link, watch the Vimeo link, give notes, wait for them to export a new one so you can watch the Vimeo link. And it, so everything's uh, slowed down a lot. That all said, we now have a rhythm of it. We now, you know, we've been doing this for 10 plus episodes. So we kind of now have it figured out. It's not necessarily easier, but it's a little less um frightening just because we we now know we can do it okay yeah i i really commend that i i've always wanted to know like well recently anyway like what's kind of going on in like the television and film realm when it comes to this pandemic and you kind of like paint a picture for me right now with theater it's just it's consistently hard like oh, yeah. there's there's like we uh we're in spokane washington right now uh like i said and uh we don't have a professional theater company here. I mean, I would argue my theater troupe, the traveling theater company for Wayward Artists is a professional theater company because we do try to pay everybody as best we can when we're doing these uh, on-site shows. But um, like your actual normal like professional theater, like there, there really isn't. So community theaters are around and they're kind of struggling a little bit to kind of figure out their place in this kind of crazy this crazy world that we're living in right now. And um, it's been very stressful uh, recently. Like I had to cancel a very big um, playwright form that I was putting together because, you know, gathering around, we were going to do it in a gym too. So yeah, we're not going to do, uh, we're not going to do a play with kids in a gym during a pandemic. That's right. <laughs> bodily fluid and all that stuff. But um, it's so, and I got a grant for this show. I got the grant back in March. So I'm sitting on this grant and I have no idea if I'm going to even do the show because of the way that kind of like society's kind of handled this pandemic. And that's kind of been stressing me out a lot too. So um, the podcast has definitely been help, uh, helped a lot, but I, I really kind of feel useless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but at least you guys, you know, despite like how slow things are and how long things take to you know, the like changes the workflow a little bit. You s seem like you found a way to figure out how to do it, like how to handle it during this pandemic. Yeah, at the very least, like a simpler, more a slightly more simplified version. Um, and that's the that's what's strange is not like late night writing or late night shows aren't really looked down upon, but narrative shows are seen as like the brass ring. You want it. live action narrative shows are seen as the brass ring because they pay a lot more. You know, there's there's more risk in that you can you can be a narrative writer on a show that gets canceled after two episodes and you don't have a job. Um, but they're considered, you know, a little more prestigious uh, and, and definitely more money. And I've usually stayed in late night just because my skill set tends to be a little more on jokes and dialogue than actual story structure, which is mm -hmm. something I still not struggle with, but have to work on. 
um, which has made late night fit me more. But this is really the first time that I was like, oh, I'm so glad I stayed in late night. Like I have some friends in narrative who are still working. Like I have friends on Brooklyn Nine-Nine who still have like rooms going over Zoom. But there's a lot of friends who like, whose shows have shut down, uh, um, you know, are on pause. Some aren't even happening at all anymore because sort of the moment for them has passed and whatever company needs the money or merged with someone else. Um, I'm in a really fortunate position to be in late night right now, which is hard to sometimes see from the inside when you're constantly stressed and everyone's mad at you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I feel very lucky that I get to be on a late night show because we're really the only genre that almost everyone in this field is still doing new episodes. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that either. I I'll be honest with you, dude. I don't like pay attention. Like I'll watch a couple episodes of Jimmy Fallon or even yep. SNL and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm part of that uh, uh, millennial generation where I just like I'm, I'm on YouTube all the time. So right, yeah. I, I, I don't see those shows. So I, I wouldn't know exactly like what the oh, yeah. is. But uh, from what I've heard, um, there, there's some interesting ways that like late night hosts uh, have been able to cope with what's going on in this world. Um, yeah. Almost YouTube style. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely almost YouTube style. Um, our show, I'm I'm glad like our show has done it in a way that I think still looks good. Other shows, like the shows have worked really hard to do it. It's funny because you can see which shows have people who kind of get the online field and shows that sort of have people who don't necessarily. And so it's a little more like front facing camera talking than it is like we put it on a tripod and shot it. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, 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 yeah. It is It is very like, you know, flying by the seat of your pants. We used to have a studio with, you know, a staff of a couple dozen people running around. And now it's a woman and her husband filming. Mm -hmm. How How's that? Uh, how's Samantha doing with all this? Like, is she like recording her own stuff and, and stuff like that? You would assume like a, a host is not mm -hmm. necessarily too used to doing all that stuff. Um, well, the nice thing is Sam is very down to earth. As far as like a host I've worked with, she's probably like, you know, the most, um, the the least person who thinks of herself as like above doing something like that. Like she does like, she still like, you know, does like poison, like get does weeding of poison ivy in her backyard. Um, she's not really someone who's like, someone else will do this for me. So for her, it wasn't that big of a deal. I do think it's very stressful for her. I think it's very stressful for all the hosts who sort of have a show writing on their back during a scary time you know, when, you know, she's home with her kids, like her kids are doing school stuff. Like we've had meetings that had to be ended because like her kid needed, you know, the laptop that Sam was using um, or something like that. You know, like it's, uh, I think she's okay though. She's really, she's a really good host. She's really strong and nice. I'm sure it's stressful on her, but it's also stressful for everyone and definitely for hosts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad that you guys, seem like you have a workflow going. Um, I yeah. hope theater can figure that out one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And I feel like theater is also going to have that problem with like all of the Broadway people trying to do the touring shows when those open back up. And then mm -hmm. touring people having to go, like it's almost like I feel like the stars are going to push everything downward. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my worry. Yeah, uh, what do you mean like pushing them uh, downward? Well, if Broadway's not opening, if like New York Broadway's not opening till 2021, and then like one or two shows start touring, or at least try to in areas that are open, I could see people who normally work New York sort of pushing out the people who normally tour. It's almost like the tier, every tier is moving downward to take advantage of the one thing that is happening. Uh, I see. Yeah, I can see that too. Um, yeah, I, I hope they don't start touring. Like that would be 
wrong. <laughs> I'm already like I'm uh, I'm super vocal on my Facebook about theater, like small town community theaters in other states, like starting to do shows right. without any safety. And I'm like, are you guys crazy right now? <laughs> like, are you insane? Like, you guys aren't even on the level of Broadway right now, and Broadway can't even figure out how to get back. Like, what makes you what makes you think that? uh this small town community theater has got it all made like it's i don't know it, it, it's something that frustrates me oh um, yeah and it's, it's a big problem here in community theater where i feel like a lot of you get a lot of different people with community theater as you know like uh you get people that are not professional they're you know they do this as a hobby yeah. and they don't, oftentimes they don't get paid and and there's like there's not a lot that they can do if they get into like risky situations and so it's frustrating that this feels like it's another another thing that uh community theater kind of often does with like safety like they, they'll say like oh yeah we're all about safety and stuff like that but you know they'll let things slide i've i've worked a, a while in community theater here to see that happen yeah and uh like on this but like and to see community theaters slide on this scale it's like no nah, man we gotta call it out like yeah. it's it's un it's unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Stand up's been doing the same thing where like people have like secret shows in like a basement somewhere, or they'll have it outside, but it's like a very tight yard where everyone's still close to each other. And people be like, I don't understand. Why aren't you like doing this? And it's like, I, I it's not every time I hear about someone doing a show, there's like a news story on their Facebook or Twitter two days later about how they and everyone in the audience has COVID. And mm -hmm. but people are really and I get it too, like. I'm making money doing a show at home. Um, other people do need to work and I do respect that, but there is an energy to reopen in a way that both like, I don't know if people are really gonna, the people who are ready to see live theater are the ones you necessarily want to be ready to see live theater. Like um, you don't want like, the people who are like, you know, fuck it, man, who cares about this shit? Let's, you know, like it's, it's mm. like, I think I sort of, I don't know. I'm not excited to start performing live until things are a little more settled down. Yeah. I was talking to a friend about uh, theater even next year and just being like, you know, I hard pill to swallow. Like, I don't think I'm ready to perform in theater even next year. Yeah. You know, if things don't shape up because, and like, that's what, that's my huge worry with this playwright form is like, man, I have this passion project that, you know, I just graduated college last year. Thank God. <laughs> and, uh, like I got this $3,500 grant from like the, this area that does, um, you know, gives out grants. It's called Spokane Arts, Spokane Saga, Spokane Art Grant Awards. Yeah. Uh, who gives out these awards every year. And so I was lucky enough to like straight out of college to get a grant for this huge project that I was doing with my best friend. Um, and the likelihood of not doing that show has risen exponentially. And it, it makes me sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's so sad. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what happens. Yeah, exactly. We all don't know. Uh, but let's, let's kind of bring it back into a little bit more of a positive mindset. Sure. Sure. Um, how, how have you been, uh, like your break time, you say Sundays are your, your time to like de-stress and everything. Like what, do, what do you, uh, what do you do in COVID times to like de-stress a little bit or to relax um, is there like any rituals that you're kind of into or, right. uh, any new hobbies that you've kind of explored? Um, I, I definitely have tried to exercise more during COVID. 
I've, I've lost a bit of weight that way. I've tried to like, even though in the moment exercising stressful, it sort of made me feel like every day I'm doing something productive. So I've, for the first time in maybe my entire life, I've been exercising every day for, mm-hmm. you know, since March. And I'm sure at some point that streak will end, but that has really helped me a lot. And I don't necessarily think it would have in normal times because in normal times I would have been walking out, walking more. I would have been going, you know, especially living in Manhattan, like walking to restaurants, walking. I often walk to work, which is only like a couple miles away from me. Um, Whereas this at least encourages me to move my body, get moving. I'm not just sinking into the couch. I'm not just like sitting down working. So that has really helped. It's also been helpful kind of setting like almost not timers, but scheduling myself to do things. I think that I'm working, the fact that I'm working from home now, you know, it doesn't just feel like I'm working from home. It feels like I'm living at work. So Mm. there are times when it almost feels, I almost feel guilty for doing something like playing a video game or watching a movie because I should be working. I'm at work right now. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to do a thing where I schedule fun on a calendar, which is something an insane person would do. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it does help because it does almost make it seem like, okay, I can stop right now. I, have, I, I know I'm going to stop. I've set the time to stop. I'm going to stop for like an hour here and just do something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I'm lucky that I still have my job uh, as a receptionist for uh, iCenter here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, it's part time, which is fine for me, at least right now. I live with my mother. So it's like, it, it helps out. <laughs> so um, I have that job. And then Thursdays through Sundays, I don't normally work. Uh, so I can I leave that, that time for myself a little bit. Um, one of the things that my professor told me, uh, well, he didn't tell me directly. I was watching a live stream that he was doing. And one thing that he was doing with his students um, at Gonzaga, which my alma mater, and he said that what he's trying to do with his students is this is a time to like prepare for when theater comes back, you know, like researching, uh, reading books and stuff like that. I really want to get into that more. Um, I kind of started that at the beginning of this pandemic. And then I was just like, you know, I'm so depressed. (laughs) I'm just gonna, I'm gonna slip back into this and just feel fat and eat Mm -hmm. and watch TV. Um, It'll kind of go up and down for me. Um, I think the one thing that's been keeping me active is, uh, my apprentice, I have a, an apprentice, she's six, uh, 16. Uh, she's, I'm a friend with her moms and uh, she wanted, really wanted to learn how to direct, right. uh, which, is my, which is my field in theater. And um, I meet with her every week, her name is Georgia. And I am very grateful for that. And she's grateful too. Like when I asked her like, hey, has this like, do you enjoy this? <laughs> like, do you like me giving you homework and like, forcing you to read all these books. I mean, I'm not forcing, forcing her. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm telling her, read this book <laughs> and we're going to talk about it next week. And she's like, probably our sessions are the only time I get to do anything theater. Yeah. And especially now that she goes, she's going to, she's going into her uh, junior year into high school right now. And she's not going to be doing any plays like realistically yeah. like that. They don't plan on doing any plays. Um, any like theater activity that they would normally do, like that's been canceled as well. And so I'm very grateful that I have that outlet for her. And it's also an outlet for me. It's a way for me to not sit around and not use my skills a little bit, even though, uh, even though to an extent it's, I'm not using it 
as much as I'd like. Yeah. But it, it's still a way for me to sharpen my my mind a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything else that you've been doing, like um, like with your mental health, you, you talked, you struggled a lot, and you talked about your friends. Like you know, you have friends that you uh, catch in on. Like, is yeah. there anything that you're doing to help your mental health at all? Um. I mean, I'm still going, I'm still not going to therapy. I'm doing phone therapy. Uh, I luckily have like a psychiatrist and I am also doing, I mean, the therapist and psychiatrist are separate. Going to therapy, I have a psychiatrist who has me on um, some meds that I was on before the pandemic, which help a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've really, honestly, it's been trying to keep up a routine. I've tried to keep cleaning. I've tried to, you know, do dishes before they pile up. I think not because necessarily that that'll fix how I'm feeling or change everything. But it also, it honestly gives me a sense of accomplishment. I think what I need when I'm not seeing a change in my environment is to feel like at least I've done something productive, not just work because work is work, you know, like work feels productive, but it's also your job. You're supposed to do that. Whereas things like keeping the place clean or doing uh, little personal writing things or, I don't know. Um, you know, I've I've considered trying to get in back into programming, although I haven't done anything in that regard. Uh, I think it's just creating a routine and feeling like I've done something productive, that I've progressed my life in some small way, helps me feel like not every day is the exact same. Exactly, and that's something I've been doing too. I actually created a little uh, desk area for me, like that's where I'm sitting right now uh, for you know, Zoom calls uh, with my friends or recording the podcast and stuff like that. I got a little lamp. And whenever I clean my room after it gets like really messy, I really feel like I'm in control of my life. You know, like I feel like, yeah. ah, God, God damn, like I can, I can do anything now that I clean up everything. Um, yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't ask me to put my clothes away though. <laughs> like that always seems like it's the struggle. Is that like kind of a struggle for you too? Um, not putting clothes away. My struggle is cleaning my floors I everything else I can just move away but cleaning floors takes like a real effort and you really have to like vacuum and you have to dust and you have to mop and and I do it it's just the one thing that I can't like be like oh I got 15 minutes I'll just put this away or like I've got you know I'll just go make my bed and that'll make it look better whenever I have to clean my floors I'm like "Ah, I really don't want to do this because it's going to be like an hour and a half even though it's not hard and I'll just listen to music or a podcast um I really delay doing that yeah, well, that's interesting because I actually enjoy <laughs> cleaning the floors a little bit. Like that's because that's the moment for me where I'm like, oh shoot, this is, there, there's a floor here. Yeah, you know, like this is this is all clean now. I feel like oh man, I can like relax. It feels like a little uh, like one of those Pinterest uh, pictures of like bedrooms. Where yeah, you get to, like, chill, get to chill out and like man, I feel like an influencer right now. I still feel kind of like an influencer whenever I listen to myself on the podcast. I'm like. <laughs> Dang, look at this guy. Right. Like, yeah. who, who, is, who is he? Who, who's talking right now, interviewing people? <laughs> taking care um, of. Yeah, it's taking care of yourself. That's, it's, but, it, you know, like, despite, like, cleaning up everything, like, there are just times where I'm just like, ugh, I can't, like, I can't handle this. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like, between losing all my theater opportunities, just recently, my, like, my dogs died, too. My oh, two I'm so hurt. sorry. Yeah, it was it was a while ago. We've talked. We, we have a really heartfelt podcast with uh, another friend who lost his dog. So we got to talk about Eli and Peyton. Uh, yes, their name after the Manning brothers. I didn't have any choice in that name, but um, they uh, they meant a lot to me. 
during a lot of dark times. And uh, just just to kind of go briefly, because I would love for you to hear those episodes that yeah. I do talk about them. But, you know, I felt like in the last five years that I got to know them, uh, they were on a mission to make sure I find what I want to do. And when I figured it out, they were like, all right, it's it's time. Right. You know, it, it's it was it's kind of weird and poetic in that way, I guess. Um, I get that. But I always, yeah, but I always like admire them. But still, the weight of that, and then this pandemic, and it's like, oh my god, I'm just I felt like I'm going crazy. <laughs> That's for sure. It's it's a new level of depression that I I haven't experienced in a long time. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, it it gets you. It gets you bad. Mm-hmm. And like I have the opportunity to like leave my house. Like it, we're not in a very populated area. Um, where exactly in New York are you? I am the uh, Upper West Side. I most of my time in New York, I've like lived in Brooklyn, but I wanted to live near my job a bit this time. Okay, so it's I'm I'm assuming it's pretty busy uh, around the Upper East Side. Uh, yeah, I mean it's up Upper West Side, but Upper East Side's also oh, busy. Like both of those areas are busy. Oh, I'm sorry, West Side. Um, but yeah, like it's it's New York, so you um. I, I've also lived, when I was in Saudi Arabia, lived in a pretty metropolitan area mm-hmm. of like 3 million people. Uh, it was on the West Coast um, by the Red Sea. And uh, coming here to Spokane, it's, it's a wild time, man. <laughs> there's like, uh, there's like not even half those people. There's like 200,000 people here. Yeah. But it's like, but it, they call it the little big city because <laughs> there's like, it tries to be Seattle sometimes, but it's not, you yeah. know, it's, it's very teeny tiny. But um yeah, I, I'm grateful that there's a coffee shop right next to my house. So I could just get to walk there and I feel a little bit normal. You know, I miss my baristas that I used yeah. to go to and like, hey, girl, how's it going? Like, what's the tea? How are you doing your job and all that stuff? You know what right. I mean? <laughs> um, I kind of want to go back to on your career a little bit, if that's sure. okay. Please. Um, yeah. Um, so Jimmy Fallon and Samantha B and all that, like, those are so such cool opportunities. But the way I like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I knew you from a website called IGN yeah. and you've written for video games, uh, like sure. video game journalism and stuff like that. Well, um, probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't really on the journalistic side. You were more of the video production up at noon and all that, if I'm assuming yeah. correctly. Um, how does that transition happen? How do you go from IGN video game, edit, like video game, like personality to something as big as like Fallon? Um, well, I went from, uh, well, I was at Nintendo before I went to IGN and I had been doing comedy. So I was kind of like, Nintendo's an amazing company to work for and they really take care of you. The only downside of Nintendo is that people don't often leave or get fired, which is good. Um, but it also means there's not a lot of room to advance. Even like you'll make a little more money every year, but it would take like, you know, six, seven, eight years to get a promotion just because people don't often leave positions above you. So I kind of, I really liked it and I really enjoyed my years there, but I was, I was, you know, feeling like I wanted to do something a little more creative. And this IGN thing came along and I had known a couple people at IGN before because I had freelanced for IGN weirdly before I worked at Nintendo. So I had freelanced like little comedy essays, these articles here or there. And so they offered me this job to write comedy videos. Yeah, and I didn't do any journalism. Even though I have a degree in journalism, I've never done any journalism, um, which is funny because whenever people get mad at me online and like know the IGN thing, they call me a game journalist, mm-hmm. which one, isn't really an insult. And two, I'm not a game journalist. So 
I don't know where they're like, I've never reviewed a game and, mm -hmm. and, um, but yeah, so I wrote comedy videos for them. And during that time I was still doing stand up, and I got something called the Montreal comedy festival, the just for last festival. And I was one of the new faces and new faces is, or at least was, even when I got it, it was like on the cusp of was versus is this big thing that basically says to the North American comedy community, like, if not, these are the next stars. It's not, it's almost like these are people to pay attention to and give work to. And, mm -hmm. and I was one of them with a ton of very, very good people like Emily Heller, who now writes for Barry, um, you know, uh -huh. Jared Logan, who does a ton of stuff, just a, a ton of really good people. And I think that and a combination of work I'd done elsewhere, like I'd done a little work for Seth Meyers before that, like I wrote for him on a couple of award shows. I think all of that combined to make me uh, a good hire for them. So they interviewed me. I came in, they made me the night before my interview, they made me do like a last minute flash writing sample, I think because they wanted to see how good I was writing under pressure. And I interviewed and I got the job. I became a writer and I moved back to New York. Yeah, I remember that episode too of Up at Noon, like that you were leaving for Fallon. That was, it was sad, man. I, I think like I really got into Up at Noon because like you're genuinely like a really good actor. Something like Thank in you. those like little sketches like with Ryan Altano and Greg, like those were Greg Miller. Um, they were like super hilarious. And we talked about the Christmas Carol part two one that I still really need to like figure out where that is, but that was that was a hilarious rant, man. I, Thank you. It's still like burned in my image, like in my brain of you just like being so angry about it. How do you feel about Christmas Carol, the musical? You know, I never actually saw it. I know that they even did like a live version and it wasn't me going like, I refuse this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why, but I always get resistant to seasonal musicals and I don't know why. Like whenever it's like, like it's like the Grinch, the musical, I'm like, ah, I don't want to see that. It's for kids even though I'll then go see a musical that's ostensibly for children like SpongeBob. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't have an opinion on it. I'm actually sure it's fine. I, I <laughs> like, you know, I usually like musical adaptations. I thought Groundhog Day was really good and it was very different from the movie and it did it. So maybe, maybe it was like that, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. I, I haven't seen Groundhog Day, but I hear a lot of good things about that one. I, I wish I lived in New York so I could see like all these shows. I've never right. been. Did you? Are you surprised? Like, oh, a wow. artist, like, yeah. who's never been to New York. Like, what's taking me so long? Well, there's a pandemic, so yeah. I can't yep. really go. Yep, that makes but, it hard. Uh, but also, I was like a poor student and I didn't really have a job. So I couldn't like drop what, like 2K, yeah. like on a trip to New York City for like one day to see a show. Yeah. But I really hope to do that one day. Um, I think one of the shows that I really want to see is uh, Evan Hansen. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Really good show. Um, I'm, I'm a sucker for any, like, teen drama. Like, I right. love that stuff. Like, I feel like it, uh, it fulfills a whole. I remember in Saudi Arabia, I said this. Like, it fulfills, like, this, uh, this need that I always wanted to go to American college, like, American uh, high school. Yeah. And I know this is, like, unrealistic expectations right now. But I'm like, dang, it's close. <laughs> yeah 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 to live that seductive life and by seductive meaning like segregation and <laughs> yeah. like getting to see the other sex and not have to cover from them and stuff like that i'm gay so i'm like right. it doesn't really matter to me anymore so uh, <laughs> but um yeah i i don't know what else to say like i really love that atmosphere it, like how different is it like new york from san francisco i mean i'm sure it's it's vastly different like the uh 
the opportunities and like the atmosphere over there? Like, what's it like? Um, well, I like I, I also went to college in New York and sort of became an adult in New York in terms of just learning to be myself and learning to accept myself a little more than I did beforehand. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I always have an affinity for New York. I think New York and Seattle were my favorite places I've lived. Seattle felt Seattle's much more expensive than when I lived there. I think I lived there like right before like the Amazon boom, like Amazon was out there. Amazon was big, but it was right before Amazon became everything in the world. And mm -hmm. so when I lived there, it was, it was very cheap compared to New York. Now it's about comparable, but I really like Seattle, New York. I don't know. It's, New York feels like the default for me. So I sometimes have a hard time explaining why I like it. Cause it's not like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a guy in the 1950s being like, you feel the magic, you feel it. Like it's <laughs> like, it's for me, I'm just like, yeah, this is like sort of a, everyone moves fast, which I like. Cause I like the idea of like moving fast and efficiently and everything is uh, as it should be. I don't know. It, 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 despite news stories, it hasn't felt that different since COVID. Um, especially now, like, you know, you have to eat outside if you go to a restaurant, but like, I'll walk down the sidewalk and there'll be a line to get it into or outside of a restaurant to get seating at a restaurant. You know, people are shopping around. I haven't seen like, like, I guess I've seen like some graffiti here or there, but I'm not seeing this vast end of the world that people are predicting. Mm -hmm. Compared to me, compared to San Francisco, I like New York a lot more than San Francisco, which was a point of contention with the woman I was dating in San Francisco at the time, because she really liked San Francisco. For me, San Francisco just has the worst parts of every city. Like it has, like the public transit doesn't work that well. And, you know, like the neighborhoods feel like very, even compared to New York City, they feel like very stratified in terms of like class. Um, I liked Oakland a bit more, but but San Francisco was was a city that I think I liked the people I worked with. Like I liked being at IGN, and I liked everyone I knew in San Francisco. Just the city itself wasn't a city that I liked living in. Yeah, I feel like when I went to San Francisco uh, my first time, I, I think I hyped myself up on like San Francisco being like this amazing place. And I think my uh, reaction to like a fellow uh, Californian, I think he's from Fresno, maybe. I can't, I can't remember, I have to ask him. But um, I just told him, man, this looks like a dirtier Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you agree with that? I kind of agree with that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I didn't like, I didn't like living there. <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. But, uh, you know, the time I had in uh, San Francisco, I, I had uh, a lot of fun. I think my heart, where it's at right now, it's in Chicago. Um, yeah. That's where all the uh, that's the where the big theater. I feel like it's a really good theater scene that doesn't really get talked to a lot, talked about a lot in my at least in my little friend theater group. Um, Steppenwolf's a, out there, right? Steppenwolf. Um, there's, gosh, I where they recruit all the SNL actors. I can't remember what Second it's City. Called. Second City, yeah. Second City's there. Yeah. I actually went on a tour. They had like an SNL museum thing that they were doing, and that was. That was surreal because <laughs> like I was just walking around. I was like, oh, I'll go check this out. And then I think what the surreal thing about it was, is like, oh, this this is theater that they're doing. It's all live. Like, yeah. why didn't I why didn't I ever make that connection before? Because I guess I, I only see it on TV, but like seeing all the, what they do behind the scenes and stuff like that, like this is what I've been training to do as a theater artist. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah. there's a chance I can be on Saturday Night Live one day. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I thought was super cool. But my heart's in Chicago, man. Right. I, I love Chicago so much. Yeah, I, I, 
Chicago's where my parents are from. So for me, it has a nostalgia. Not I didn't I didn't come from Chicago. I come from South Florida. But like I visit like my mom's siblings there, or like we take a family trip there. So it's weird for me because I have like a very childhood version of it with you know the Museum of Science and Industry or Soldier Field. Like it's almost these nice little fun locations where I've been back as an adult maybe twice and it seems so foreign to me because I remember the colorful childhood version and not what it actually is, which is a regular city with cool things in it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And uh, going back to what you were saying about New York being like the default, like I feel what you mean, you know, like I, I you know, I, I shit on Spokane all the time. <laughs> I, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot of like stuff that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like fast and loose too. Like I, I kind of want to progress already and like get out of here, get my master's and start teaching, which yeah. that's what really what I want to do. And, you know, freelance on the side, do theater projects, but I, I really want to teach. But, um, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I'll think about coming back here one day. I really would love to work with my alma mater. Yeah. Like when I come back here, it's like coming back to home. Whereas as Saudi Arabia, the place I grew up in, doesn't really like I don't miss it. You yeah. know, um, I I might be missing it recently because they've been handling the pandemic well. And I'm like, you know, right. yeah, <laughs> maybe I like denounce my American citizenship and just, you know, see you later, guys. I'm going to go back. But yeah, learn, like knowing what I know and how I progressed in my life and the important aspect of like my journey was leaving saudi arabia and yeah. uh was you know i probably wouldn't be happy going back but you know i, I have thought about it recently <laughs> um but i feel i feel what you mean there of new york being kind of your, like almost like your home you, you've lived yeah. there essentially like you've lived there you went to school there and stuff yeah like i've lived here the vast majority of my adult life i think if you if i've been i'm 36 now so i've been an adult 18 years i've lived in new york i want to say 13 of those, you know, mm -hmm. so a fair amount of my time has been out here, maybe four, maybe, maybe 12, but still like the, a large amount of time of my adult life has been spent here. And it feels, yeah, it feels like I sort of, you know, um, it helped me get through a lot of stuff, you know, like, you know, uh, trying to think of, I was really straight edge, you know, I was afraid to drink and I had friends who kind of like introduced me to things that I now enjoy, but was was genuinely afraid of, like almost like dare kid believed all the warnings afraid of. And that has improved my life. I think that New York were my, you know, my parents are good people, but they're not really pro mental health, or at least weren't when I was a kid. So it was nice to get somewhere where like, I could finally be by myself and like go to a therapist without having to answer questions about going to a therapist. Um, just like for a lot of people, moving to college gives you a lot of options. For me, New moving to New York both gave me what college gives, which is you meet like-minded people, you sort of, you know, explore your sexuality a bit, you you learn who you are and you're more open about who you are because you don't have to prove yourself to people who have expectations of you. And also mm -hmm. all of the openings of New York City where, you know, I could go to a black box theater and pay $5 and see, you know, someone put on a small production of something, or I could go to Broadway, or I could go to UCB and see an improv show, or I could take UCB classes. And... New York really gave me the opportunity, not just to be like become an adult, but it going to New York is what led to every step that where I am today. Yeah, I know. I I totally I feel that on like a spiritual level, Mike. Um, when I came from Saudi Arabia, like I had already kind of like 
just been like, all right, we're probably not going to practice Islam the way we used to. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more open about my sexuality a little bit right. more. Yeah. And but at at the same time, I was still very kind of like you at the beginning, just very straight and narrow path, maybe a little bit straight edge. But yeah, I was re- I was I was ready to be like fuck the man, and I'm gonna like anything I do, I'm just it's a protest. <laughs> yeah. Like against the Saudi government, I'm gonna like drink. I'm gonna do all this weird stuff, and um, yeah, it wasn't really until like honestly, when everything kind of like put itself together was for me senior year of college it took that long yeah. and uh, i'm very grateful to, for the experience that i had at gonzaga um which is a real school i <laughs> <laughs> um that was the whole like jimmy Kimmel thing which I, a lot of people at my school took very seriously oh they did <laughs> like they uh i don't know if they were necessarily like quote unquote offended that oh. jimmy Kimmel was like yeah gonzaga is not a real school like but there were a lot of people who took it very seriously with like t-shirts and everything i think they were just writing the clout probably yeah, yeah. um but at the same time i'm just like man you know relax yeah. you know <laughs> um we're good at basketball but that's and i think like we're a pretty good business school um but i'd argue we have a really good theater department i mean i'm biased i graduated of course of course um but no college helped me out so much in shaping the person that I am today. And it really was my mentors who uh, pushed me to do my little fringe theater troupe where I do plays in bars. And I did play, I did a play that I wrote uh, in front of like thousands of people for a Pacific Northwest, no inland Northwest, sorry, not Pacific Northwest, inland Northwest um, arts event of like over, there was like 300 artists and like 3000 people showed up to the event i could be mixing up those numbers but i think it's around there right and i did this all out of college you know from what i've learned and uh it was really exciting to get to mentor somebody about that uh, actually um besides georgia who i who's my apprentice i've mentored a few kids and the one kid uh her name is kayla fontana she her episode is out right now if you want to listen to it but mm-hmm. um she was going through a rough patch and you know, I told her basically everything that I learned because I knew exactly where she was she, she was coming from. And not only did she end up going to the National Theater Institute, I don't know if you're familiar with that program, it's in Connecticut, but uh, through the National Theater Institute, she's going, she's going to be going to your alma mater. <laughs> oh, nice. Like, yeah, she's going to be in the, uh, the Tisch uh, Theater program over there. Tisch, yeah. And, yeah, and I was like, God damn. I, like, I helped her with that. I mean, she did it. Right. Like I helped her and that's kind of like where my love for teaching came from and right. getting to help people. Um, so yeah, grateful for college. College is great. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad I went to college and grad school bought me some extra time while I figured out what I was doing with my life. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, it costs it. I, I lucky enough with TV money, I've been able to pay off my student loans, which is a very rare privilege for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely going to grad school and adding $45,000 to my debt was a very large gamble. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, again, I've been very blessed to had a full ride. Um, like my dad's boss is very grateful and like he gave, he paid for my whole tuition for the last like five years. And oh, that's great. yeah, so, but I'm going to about to go into debt for my master's. I really want to. I, I want to hopefully I can apply next year. I thought about preparing all the material for my master's degree uh, this year, but I was just like, you know, my, my profession really, we really need to be 
in the same room with each other. Because I've been watching all these Zoom plays, Mike, and I don't know how, if you've seen a Zoom play, but it's not great, man. I, yeah. I, I tried. I sincerely tried. But it's just like it's a low edited, low budgeted movie. Yeah. And even those things, like I don't really pay attention to that much. So I really try to engage with it. But it was just it's not it, man. Like yeah. it's, it's not where it's at. It's well, yeah. I mean, also your timing's off. You can't like really move the same time someone's moving. I'm sure, you know, you have to pause longer, I would assume, between lines just to make sure you're not stepping on someone. I can't mm -hmm. imagine it being that good. Yeah, it's uh, and technical difficulties on Zoom. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's that. And it kind of just ruins the uh, the immersion a little right. bit. So it's like, ugh, I don't. Uh, don't like this. <laughs> and my, my good friend, Art Poor Diaz, he, uh, he would agree with that too. Um, I saw he goes to San Francisco University for creative writing and he's also getting another master's degree. Can't remember what it is. Sorry, Art. <laughs> uh, but I was looking at his, uh, one of his finals and yeah, he even agrees. Like it, it's not good. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Mike, we're about an hour into this. Um, I don't want to keep you on for too much longer. I know we didn't talk about the person that you're thankful for, but like I said, this podcast is really just about checking in on people. Uh, we kind of start off with that question and then, you know, we have really in-depth conversations like this and uh, hopefully so far you've had a good time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I thought I'd ask you a couple more questions. Please. Uh, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. I normally, this is the part of the episode where I'm like, you know, pretend I'm the person that you talked about and manifest they've manifested in the podcast and you would uh talk about you know what's one thing you want to say to them um is there anybody out there in the world right now who's listening like is there something that you want to tell them right now like a secret message secret code uh um secret code oh that's that's yeah. kind of nice <laughs> yeah maybe like uh if such and such hears this like it'll mean a lot to them or something i don't know i'm making this up on the spot um I'm trying. I'm trying to think because I, I want to. I, uh, I I would honestly just say like, uh, and this applies to a lot of people, but there's someone I'm specifically thinking of, which is I know that you know a lot's going on with your family and you know with with difficulties involving you know your job and mental health, and so uh, I'll be around and I hope it's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's like the best that we can do is hoping that everyone's okay and. Checking in on everybody. Yeah. Um, that, especially your friends who are struggling. Um, yeah. I think that's very important to do that as well. Um, I try to do that. I've been sending out people uh, little cards. I think like I sent a little postcard to not only my friends, but also the kids I mentor. Because, you know, I think like the big thing that I'm worried about during this pandemic is I'm very close to a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I message them and their parents know and everything it's not anything <laughs> weird or anything like that but um you know i message them and i'm they're constantly on my mind man especially with like everything that's going on and the reason why i stopped wanted to stop doing the forum uh, among several other reasons is like i didn't want to do a zoom thing either because like they're going to go to school right now and they're going to be on the computer for like eight hours a day yeah plus four three to four hours doing homework and assignments and seeing their friends like to add to that, I I don't think I would like doing that, you know? No, no. I, I can't imagine right now going to school with this. It's bad enough when I have a Zoom meeting a day or every other day for work. 
I can't imagine sitting in a Zoom meeting, especially for someone like a high school student, four or five times for an hour with, mm -hmm. you know, different classes. I, I would lose my mind. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I, yeah, I didn't want to do that to them. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was kind of an uh, executive decision too, uh, between me and Art. But uh, yeah, I consistently worry about them. And so I always reach out to the parents and be like, hey, mom. Uh, how's it going? How are the kids? <laughs> that's that's the most important thing, I think, is to also just check in on the little guys, too, if you can. Um, so guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this has been Wayward Artists in the Wayward World. We are in the lightning round question Great. section of the show. Um, uh, lightning round questions is a series of five questions that I ask guests each and every Sunday. Uh, they're fun. They're probably not that quick because we'll go into discussion about them. I don't, I'll probably change the title of that soon. <laughs> uh, Mike, are you ready? Yep. Hit me. All right. Question number one. What it would be your perfect day? My perfect day would probably be going to a theme park during a time when not a lot of people are there and maybe maybe like taking a small edible or something. Not something to get like wasted, but something to, you know, increase the, the sense of wonder and mm -hmm. kind of just walk around and immerse yourself. You know, mm -hmm. I think my best days that I remember have been, you know, like you know, once I was at this, weirdly enough, a Renaissance fair, and it just felt like a moment, like, not like it was real, but this mm -hmm. moment where you sort of, like, felt yourself get into the groove of a slightly different world. And mm -hmm. I really like that about theme parks. So for me, a perfect day would probably be with, you know, me hanging out with, you know, a romantic partner or, you know, someone I'm close friends with, although preferably a romantic partner, <laughs> and just sort of exploring an artificial world. Mm -hmm. And consuming an edible too. That, and consuming that's... an edible, yeah, yeah. Not a big <laughs> yeah. one, not enough to get like kicked out of the park, but just enough to like, <laughs> you know, make Pirates of the Caribbean a little more fun. Yeah, you know, I I, I might take that advice. I I feel you, man. I I'm trying to like anticipate like my, like going to theme parks again. I really want to go back to Disneyland. I, uh, I miss it so much. I mean, theoretically, you could go to Disney World right now if yeah. you want. <laughs> which uh you know i think it's stupid that they're it's, open but it's yeah. so stupid it's so stupid mm -hmm. and i love disney but i mean i love the disney parks i Dis you know disney the company has its various things oh yeah disney the company uh, i like to tell people that disney the organization i have a lot of issue with but like walt disney pictures and you know their affiliates you know the parks. exactly like it's like that's that's kind of what i'm into the most yeah <laughs> um Question, question number two. Uh, what's your third favorite movie? My third favorite movie? That's a good mm -hmm. question. I would probably say it's Alien. Ooh, which, uh, like, Alien, uh, the, the first, first one. The first Alien. The fir I like uh, the first Alien more than the second. I know that people have varying opinions. But mine, I like more that, I like when something's about normal people. Mm -hmm. And Aliens is cool because it's about like a squad of people that are kind of normal people and have personalities. But I like that the original Alien was just like basically space scrappers, like people who like or like, you know, people who delivered things in space. It was just regular people. And to me, that was, you know, that's not something you often see in sci-fi, like outside of how cool, you know, the alien is and going to the planet and the face hugger. It's just that you didn't often see in my mind, like crews of regular Joes just going to work in space. Yeah, I I agree with you. I actually like the first Alien more than uh, 
the other uh, aliens in the franchise. I mean, arguably one and two is the best one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I like one more. It's kind of like what you describe it. It's like normal people just uh, in space. Yeah. Uh, whereas two is more actiony, and you know it, it has its merits. But I, I think the first one had like that horror aspect that I really appreciate, and it has like this. Uh, I think it came out in the seventies, but like that's this like seventies slash early eighties aesthetic that. I kind of dig, yeah. you know, like when I, whenever I watch any old movie, um, but yeah, alien, that's a really good movie. Um, one that I recognize, I feel like a lot of people who have said movies on this show, uh, tend to bring up some weird suggestions and I'm like, I've never heard of that movie before, uh, but it, right. it also inspired me to like, well, it's a pandemic. I might as well watch one of these one day. Um, yeah. but yeah, question number three, and, uh, this might be a hard one, but try your best to do it. Um, try to best to answer it. Uh, how would I describe you? How would you describe me? Yeah. Um, maybe the way you did at the top of the show. Um, you know, I think probably, you know, most of our relationship is through knowing what we do. So I think you'd probably be like, you know, writer, comedian, video game person, mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully nice person. But I think, I think I'd probably be described by you at this point at the very least, uh, by what I do, which I don't quite mind. I know people bristle against that where they're like, I'm not my job, but I worked hard to get this job. So I'll take it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if I, uh, I, I love it when people's like, you know, Oh, Sid's done theater and right. he has a theater troupe and stuff like that. You know, just keep going, man. I worked really hard for that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, the way I would describe you, man, I mean, I, I think you're really, yeah, you're a very nice person, but also you're, very uh smart Thank you. I, I, feel, I feel like uh probably like with all your funny stuff like probably that doesn't come out a lot but I, I i see a lot of what you tweet on twitter and you know there's some funny stuff in there but there's a lot of truth Thank and you. i really enjoy hearing what you have to say about world issues which you often tweet about i think you said at the top of the show or in the middle somewhere that <laughs> you obsessively tweet all the time and yeah, yeah your friend if you when you don't do that your friends call in and you're like, Hey, what's up? What's going on? Are you all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, but yeah, that's how I describe you. And, uh, Thank you. right now you'd be a good friend. For Thank sure. you. It's very nice mm-hmm. of you. Thank you. Yeah. This is a positive podcast. <laughs> um, number four, what's your favorite ice cream topping? Favorite ice cream topping. Uh, if we count like hot fudge as a topping, I would say hot fudge. If we're not counting hot fudge as a topping, I, uh, I didn't used to, but I really like fruit. I really, I think pink places like Pinkberry got me into having a little bit of that fruit mix in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. What kind of fruit, what kind of fruit are you putting in? If it's just one kind of fruit, I'm going to say blueberries. Uh, I I know that's a strange choice. Blueberries are my favorite fruit. A lot of people don't like them, but that's too bad. Well, Mike, you aren't alone uh, in choosing blueberries. I I think, uh, someone else on the show also said blueberries on their ice cream. Which, uh, yeah, so you're not alone. There are more people like you out there. I'm glad. I am glad to hear that. <laughs> but hot fudge, hot fudge can totally be an ice cream, too. Um, yeah. I talked about this numerous on the show. Like, I'm the type of guy that, like, just likes chocolate on chocolate, you know? Like, yeah. I don't care if it doesn't mesh well or you can't really uh, notice any flavor, palate changes or whatever. Like, I don't care. I've, if it, Just drown that thing in chocolate. Right. Uh, I will eat that thing all up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, then question number five, speaking of chocolate, and the most important question on the show, uh, left Twix or right Twix? I will probably always uh, start with left Twix, not out of any preference, but I just feel like I move left to right. And so mm-hmm. 
That'll it'll probably be left Twix first. Um, but if I had it upside down, I'd probably choose right Twix because it was on the left side. <laughs> that that's that's a really interesting answer when you have it upside down. And so, oh man, I love that. We that at the uh, the pre-show, I was like, that's that's the weird question. Yeah. That. Um, I like to ask people and see what their responses are. We've gotten a lot of cool responses. Uh, again, like I don't like to go over it on the show because it forces other people to w- listen to the show. Right. Um, so good choice. You, you, you. said you were, you said you worked left to right. Like, what do you mean by that? You know, just like um, the way you read, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, just like left to right. So I'm like, Oh, it's first you choose this, then you choose that. Like, um, I think I'm just naturally in that flow of the way that like, at least, at least I know that not in obviously every culture, but at least in like American English speaking, where you're like, you go left to right, left to right, left to right. So for me, it's left is first and right is second. Yeah. And you write all the time. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that would make sense as well. Yeah. Yeah. Start there. <laughs> all right. Um, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this has been Wayward Artists in a Wayward World. Uh, Mike, do you have any last words? Uh, no, thank you for having me. This was very pleasant. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to have you on. Um, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like... I got to know a little bit about something that um, I, I had only assumptions about, you know, like mm-hmm. not just you, but like, you know, the arts industry as uh, right. uh, like on the uh, the more public, the more popular side. So I'm really glad that you gave me a little bit, just a little taste of what's it like to, you know, be in New York and, you know, and getting to know you. I feel like we've been following each other for a long time and totally. hopefully, hopefully this is the start of a beautiful, you know, one day we get to meet each other and, and it's pre-COVID, like yeah. post-COVID, and uh, we get to have a good beer. Absolutely. I'd love that. Yeah. Well, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, without further ado, it's been real. Thank you.